It's Football Archaeology Tuesday, and author Timothy P. Brown joins us to tell us all about the 1932 NFL Championship and the interesting story that goes along with it. Tim comes up in just a moment to tell us all about that title. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes, pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen. We are going to talk with Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com. He'll talk about a great tidbit he had back February 14th. Uh, Tim, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hi, Darren. Good to see you this evening and look uh, look forward to chatting about um, ties and the wonderful world of ties in football. Yeah, and ties at the professional level. It's not something that we get to talk about quite often uh, when, when we chat with you. But this is uh, you know, an NFL contest that, yeah. that we're going to be talking about today and a, a great, uh, one of the most historic seasons, probably pre-Super Bowl, that there, there was. And so I will let you uh, set the stage and the story. Well, so, you know, we're talking about the 1932 season and the great inequities of the world. Um, And I say that because it was a season where, you know, you could argue that the wonderful Green Bay Packers got screwed a little bit. But so, you know, this is 1932. So that's a year, it's the last year in which the NFL used the college rule book, right? And then they, in 33, they changed a number of of rules. created their own rule book and you know changed a number of rules but they were still using the college rule book in 32 and so the the nfl back then was not quite the same kind of an organization that it is today you know where everything's buttoned down and tied down and everybody you know follows the marching orders and so it was um back then and colleges did the same thing teams would just because you were in a league with somebody else or a conference with somebody else did not at all mean that you were going to play them. Um, and, you know, Big Ten was one of them that hung on to that for, for years. Um, and like Fritz Kreisler went wacko, you know, later in his career as the AD at Michigan, because he just, he viewed the conference as one that set eligibility records and things like or standards, not, it wasn't a scheduling platform. So, so basically you had a situation where teams would play uh, different numbers of games against teams in their league. And there are a number, you know, often teams didn't play, you know, they played unequal numbers or, you know, they might play good teams twice or three times. And then they, you know, the NFL still is playing. They were professional, but they it would be like they were playing, you know, a A baseball team or something like that. You know, they were playing teams that were in a lower league, uh, but, you know, it brought in fans and, you know, they made money and, you know, those kinds of things. So it turned out that in, um, and so both in college and in the NFL at the time, they determined that there weren't playoffs. There wasn't even a championship game. The, the winner 
was like it was, you know, at least it was when I was in high school. Whoever won the, you know, you won the champion, you won your league title, and then, you know, whoever had the best record was named the league champion. You know, pretty simple stuff. Um, but, and back then, you know, they calculated that based on the win percentage, and it they did not include ties in, in that calculation. So you could have a team under that scenario, you could have a team that was that won one game, didn't lose any, and then tied nine times, would win a championship over a nine and one team. Now, and that would be the case even if the nine and one team won the game head to head when they played. So um actually no, that last part is not true because then otherwise the uh, they, they would have had a loss. Wouldn't have been one, one and oh. So okay, forget that. Edit that out. <laughs> um, but anyway, so it, nevertheless, so the point would be still that 9-0-1 was not as or yeah, 1-0-9 was better than nine and one, at least the way that they calculated. So in, in 1932, that kind of a scenario was kind of was what occurred. I mean, not quite, you know, not not to that extreme, but the the NFL season ended. There were two games left, and the Packers, you know, had like a uh, they had ten wins, one loss, and like four ties, right? And then uh, the Bears and Portsmouth Spartans, who later became the Detroit uh, Lions, um, you know, they were they were both like they did one four games and then they had a bunch of ties and like six ties and things like that. So at the end of the season, it turned out, you know, the back Packers kind of, oh, they screwed themselves, but they, they lost their final two games. And that left them with the 10, three and four record while uh, both Chicago and Portsmouth were six, one and either six, one and six or six, one and four. Right. So based on the way they calculated it, they tied with the same win percentage, those, you know, Portsmouth and Chicago. So that was the first time that they, um, they said, okay, well, we need, need to name a champion because these two teams are tied. So they had a championship game. They scheduled the following week to be played in Chicago. Chicago had terrible weather. So instead of playing outdoors, they moved the game inside Chicago stadium, you know, a basketball hockey arena. And so they played on a shortened field, a narrow field, et cetera. And, you know, that's a famous game led to, or contributed anyways to the the move the next year to introduce uh, hash marks because they had moved the ball away from the boards, you know, in the, in Chicago stadium. Uh, There was a um, famous jump pass during that game. And so that led to some changes in, you know, the rule about whether or not you, like the NFL dropped the rule that, you had to be, you know, five yards back from center in order to, you know, from the line of scrimmage, I should say, to, to throw a forward pass. Um, but, you know, and then the, um, they also then started playing a championship game, you know, the following year. Um, but even even then, that that percentage, you know, the keeping ties out of the win percentage thing, that stayed in place until 1972 because Hallis opposed it time and time again. You know, it's almost like he didn't want his 1932, you know, <laughs> thing to have, you know, ill light, you know, shined upon it. Um, so it's just one of those crazy rules. And and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I, I wrote a similar 
um, uh, tidbit about using University of Minnesota as an example, because you know the Big Ten back then, you know, you know it, we don't think about Minnesota being far away from Ohio State or you know the the other Big Ten teams at the time, but it was very common for you know teams even you know like, like a Purdue Purdue it wasn't a distance issue, but they would only play two, three, maybe four Big Ten teams in the season. The rest of the time they were playing, you know, the local small college. Maybe they play somebody from another section of the country. But uh, um, Minnesota, um, to this date, claims 12 Big Ten championships before uh, 1935. And in not a single one of those championships did they win more than three Big Ten games. Hmm. Right? I mean, they would be three and zero. A lot of times, they were two and zero, or two zero and one, or two zero and two. So all those big championships they claim, and other teams do the same. You know, other schools do the same thing. You know, they've got a championship based on a, just a couple of couple of wins. You know, which seems just totally bizarre now, but that's the way it was. You know, and the, the only other thing that came out of that uh, that whole scenario, I mean, nobody liked it but they just kept doing it. You know, they couldn't, couldn't possibly, you know, look at a sport like hockey and say, Oh geez, maybe they've got a better idea there. But um, so one of the things that the, these kinds of mismatches, uh, uh, well, mismatches isn't, isn't the right word, but anyways, one of the things that these um, inequitable scheduling uh, led to is um, some of the early rating systems um, were built around trying to, use mathematical formulas to say, well, Illinois is the best team this year because they won six games against power teams. And, you know, there were some very basic calculations that they, they employed back then, but the, the Dickinson system was started in 1925 to try, try to address that. And it, it's one of the systems that's recognized today. You know, that if you look at right. who the NCAA, you know, recognizes as naming uh, national champions, for example, the Dickinson is one of them, and so is our buddy uh, Park, Park Davis, Park and, Davis, and Holgate, and yes, yeah, so, so there's yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's just you know an interesting, uh, yeah, just things that the uh, that I mean, we still because conferences have gotten bigger, you still have kind of unequal uh, matching. You know, not everybody's playing around robin, right? But um, nevertheless, I mean, back then it was just like nuts. You didn't even have to play minimum number of games to be considered a conference champion. Yeah, the, the going going back to that uh, that 1932, I guess uh, impromptu championship game. Uh, they there's some speculation that uh, they were the, the NFL because the NFL wouldn't declare a champion until their off season meeting, which usually was in after the first of the year. So people pretty much knew who the champion was because they never had anything be a tie like that. Well, there was speculation that they were going to be co-champions and that Hallis, you know, would, had no part of that. He wanted to be, you know, the Bears were it and he wanted the title. So it's rumored that he bent, uh, and I'm not sure if it was uh, Joe Carr, I think it was Joe Carr at the time was probably the NFL commissioner, uh, bent his ear a little bit and said, Hey, you know, we got to have this game and, you know, we'll host it in Chicago and, you know, everything's going to be really great. And, but he also knew that 
Portsmouth's star player, their quarterback, Dutch Clark, was the head basketball coach at the University of Colorado, I believe, and that their first game was that weekend that they scheduled the game. So there's no way that he could be there. And this is a Chicago Bears team that had, you know, not only Red Grange, but Bronco Nagurski. And, you know, that they were that jump pass play that you talked about. There yeah. was the two of them that uh, had that, and that's what ended up winning the game. So the, the Spartans, without their best player, you know, held this powerful Chicago Bears team right till the end until this controversial jump pass was was thrown by i believe by bronco nagurski to grange yeah and yeah. Uh, so that that was that was pretty weird and i believe it's the first indoor uh professional championship ever played too i'm i'm pretty well i, I know it is yeah. for an nfl title definitely but yeah yeah it's the first yeah i mean there, there were some of those, those really early games indoors in like 1892 and you know the whatever it was, the East Coast Football Union, I forget exactly what they called it, but um, guys like Stagg and Warner played in some of those games, you know? Yeah, uh, but yeah for sure. I mean, other, you know, that was definitely. Well, uh, I guess, I guess you could count the World Series of Football in 1902, 1903. Those were sort of professional and they said they were the world yeah. champions for us. So I guess those were indoor. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, some, some good stuff there. The, uh, you know, it's a very interesting period in time, but they uh, had George Hallis always, uh, always definitely you knew he was on the side of the bears he would do anything he could to to you know win uh swaggle or whatever barter into a, a nfl title get the bears in there somehow but uh, that's yeah, good stuff he was, uh, as a you know growing up a packer fan he was not my favorite human being <laughs> but but yeah i mean he you know i i ended up getting a liking when i did all the research on on my first book, because he played for uh, Great Lakes Naval, you know. And, right. uh, so, anyways. Yeah, I think he, he didn't he, he played for like uh, Canton Bulldogs or something too early on, I think. I don't I don't think he played for Canton. He Like when he, he played, like no, in no. 1919, he played some games, I believe, with um, with the Hammond Pros. Yeah, okay, that maybe that's what it was. And, okay. You know, Patty Disc. Driscoll and a couple of the other Great Lakes guys played um, played for them, and it was after that season that he moved out to, uh, you know, Big Decatur Staley's and Staley's program. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a whole another interesting story in itself. How we got yeah. the Bears from uh, Old Man Staley. So, <laughs> yeah. good stuff. Well, Tim, I uh, appreciate uh, you spending this time and uh, you know getting these tidbits to us each and every night. And you know, for those uh, out there in uh, the listening land that uh, would love to get a hold their hands on your tidbits and read them each night. Uh, how, how can they go about that? Yeah. So you can uh, check out my website, footballarchaeology.com. It's on the Substack platform. Just you can enroll. And that means every night you'll get an email sent to your inbox with that day's story. Um, and you can either do that and, or uh, follow me on Twitter I, I post it shortly after seven o'clock each night on Twitter as well. And uh, so I'm, you know, I go under the name football archaeology there as well. Okay. Timothy P. Brown, footballarchaeology.com. Thank you very much for your uh, sharing your the story tonight and uh, each and every night on your tidbits. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Very good. Thank you, sir. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. 
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.